0: Welcome to the Blended Learning in Action podcast, where we discuss all things around student-centered learning with educators and thought leaders around the world. I'm your host, Charity Dodd. Welcome to the Blended Learning in Action podcast called Gamifying the Classroom with Dee Lanier and Alex Valesa. I'm your host, Charity Dodd, and in this episode, We'll talk with two of my incredibly talented colleagues Dee and Alex about exactly what is gamifying the classroom why should educators think about gamifying their classroom and some advice they have for getting started first let me begin by introducing these two amazing colleagues of mine Dee Lanier is an educational technologist and equity enthusiast Dee is a passionate and energetic educator and learner with over a decade of instructional experience on the K-12 and collegiate level. Dee holds undergraduate and master's degrees in sociology with special interests in education, race relations, and inequality. Dee is an award-winning presenter, TEDx speaker, Google certified trainer, Google innovator, and Google certified coach that specializes in creative applications for mobile devices and Chromebooks, low-cost maker spaces, and gamified learning experiences. Dee is a founding mentor and architect for the Google Coaching Program pilot, Dynamic Learning Project, and a co-founder of Our Voice Academy, a program aimed at empowering educators of color to gain greater visible leadership and recognize expertise. Dee is also the creator of the blended learning educational activities called Solve in Time and Maker Kitchen. D is currently a transformation manager with Link. You can find him on Twitter at DLanier and check out his problem-solving passion project at solveintime.com. Alex is a transformation manager for Link, working with schools across the globe, providing coaching to teachers and leaders. Alex is a former social studies teacher in Hartford, Connecticut, where he taught and wrote curriculum for world history, economics, philosophy, and law. Alex was also the lead student-centered learning teacher providing professional development and coaching to his colleagues. He also served as a district learning facilitator in the spring, helping his building transition into remote instruction. Okay, so welcome to my incredibly talented, smart, and hilarious colleagues Dee and Alex. They're going to talk us through what gamifying the classroom means. And for those who are just like me and have no idea, they're gonna teach us the why and the how. Welcome, Alex and Dee.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
2: Yes, thank you, Charity.
0: I have no idea what gamifying the classroom means, so talk to me about what exactly does that mean? (laughs)
2: Depends (laughs) on who you ask, and you're asking two different people, so you're probably gonna get two different answers. See, I
0: didn't even know that. That was just one definition
2: no. Rock, paper, scissors, Alex. Who wants to go first?
1: I mean, I think my version of gamifying the classroom has definitely changed over the years. Like when I first got into education, I really thought it was just about that idea of, oh, you make a review game or you bring a game into an activity. Whereas now it's, especially as even games have really expanded, the possibilities for what gamifying can actually mean has expanded a lot. And I think... For me, one of the big things for gamifying the classroom isn't exactly changing what you're trying to do in the classroom as a teacher. It's more about trying to add elements of gaming to what you're
2: already doing. Hmm.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah, Alex actually just touched on one of the points I was thinking about, and that is first, you know, clarifying what gamification is and what it is not. And some believe that gamification means that you make a game of something. Whereas the the idea of gamification means bringing game-like activities to something. So that may result in actually being a literal game. And if you think about the elements of a game typically Hmm. has uh, either physical or digital components, there are rules, there's a goal to be achieved. You're either operating as an individual or in teams. You sort of know what you're after and the desire is to win. And all you get for winning is bragging rights. (laughs) It's like, that's, that's what you get. Like I won or we won. And, and then that, that emotional trigger that says, want to play again? Right. And thinking about that, like from a, from family game standpoint, and then you think about video games and some of the deeper engagement that exists there that involves like this, this sense of achievement accomplishing something, continuing to get stronger via XP uh, to then, you know, conquer whatever boss that may exist in many ways, or figure out the strategy to unlock whatever. Uh, and at the end, it still kind of comes down to bragging rights, whether, <laughs> <laughs> whether it's this game uh, actually has a literal end goal, and, and we won. Or it just it has status and achievements being racked up and there's a leaderboard. There's some way in which people acknowledge that we accomplished something and we want to do that again because we enjoyed it.
0: So I remember my daughters coming home just so excited because they won the vocabulary spelling game. That's something not really as I see it, gamification in the classroom or gamifying the classroom but sort of is. And when I think about gamifying the classroom and I see what some of these people are doing on Twitter, I'm, I just think that seems like so much work. And I'm excited to hear about how you guys are going to talk about you know, how to get started. But I'd really like to know why do you think that educators should think about gamifying their classrooms?
1: The reason I love gamification is the engagement it can provide, especially to a population right now that are struggling in schools. We know that currently girls are really dominating the school environment right now, and they're the ones really doing better grade-wise. They're doing better on a lot of different um, diagnostics. But for guys, video games have become this thing that is all-encompassing. They're on the phones now. They're on whatever platform they're on. They're on computers, wherever else. I mean, the amount of times in the classroom I would see cool math games instead of whatever I was trying to accomplish – was so overwhelming for me at some points. And I started to think, why is that? And when you look into the research, there's a 2008 Stanford study about the fact that the achievement felt in video games activates the brain more for men than it does for women on average. So you're talking about games doing something on a chemical level for that category, for your boys in your classroom, that it just doesn't do For girls, Whereas the other thing is guys do better with set objectives and set goals, whereas girls can do better with abstract thinking, things like that, where guys kind of struggle more. The other side of it is the SEL side to me also, where Mm -hmm. it's starting to show that video games and gaming overall can really help to be a psychological help to the mental state. It can relieve stress. It can start to be kind of that release in a way for guys to really kind of unwind and reach those different areas of their social emotional side that they might not normally in your standard uh social situation so adding those elements into the classroom to kind of reach those students that especially in my classroom sometimes just were checking out or just were not interested and trying to do it in a way that wasn't going to completely throw off what i was trying to do in the classroom or really upend whatever goals i had set was something that i was like yeah i can I'm definitely down to make that happen.
2: Yeah, I could go off on a tangent on some of that research that you just shared, Alex, because I think about the reality of programming in general and and who's dominating in computer science. And so, my assumption, uh, need to research further, would be part of the reason why males enjoy video games more is because they were designed by them, and then it's an easy association to me about thinking about the parallels between video game creation and hip hop in that, you know, hip hop is dominated by men. And then you see in many cases, women entering within that realm or in the field of hip hop and having to cater to this male dominated environment. And so the thing I'm looking forward to as computer science and coding for women continues to grow is not just entering the space of programming but creating that space right not just trying to emulate what has been created in the past but creating new pathways in order to be more inclusive to all learners so mm-hmm. that's a that's somewhat of an aside Um, In that I know that we're not talking like full on like how Mm -hmm. so how do we develop and program video games for the classroom like that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) And I'm not, I'm not your expert for that. But I I couldn't resist, Alex, because you, you share that research, it just makes me think about how do we create inclusive environments and gamification is a way in which we can do that if we are intentional.
0: I love that because for someone like me who just, you know, not that I set it aside or anything, but I think it, it looks like a lot of work on my end to do. And then I worry, well, they even like it. And then, but I love the idea of like, Alex talks about that research. That's something that I think our listeners might want to look, a little bit more into because you know you we want to reach our students where they are especially now when they feel so isolated and disengaged and you know just I, I learned so much from you Alex and D and this is really I want to dig into this a little bit more. And D you're really inspiring me, you know, with the whole inclusive inclusiveness part. This is a good why, right? So we're talking about what is gamifying? And then this is the why. This is a really big why, especially right now. So for me as an educator, who's not really into this, what advice do you have for our listeners in getting started with gamifying their classrooms?
1: So for me, as you keep talking about the idea of it looks like a lot and it looks like, and especially if you're comparing it to like these modern video games that are so intricate and colorful and everything like that i kind of point to godfather of all games being dungeons and dragons which was legitimately just all imagination you had a few dice and then you had somebody coming up with a story and everything else working from there right that's been a game that's lasted for over 40 years at this point it's still one of the most popular games out there and for anybody thinking that oh, it's going to be this huge workload and, it, and I have to make it super intricate to make it interesting. That's not the case at all. It has to be, you're hitting these base elements that really inspire the students to jump in and really go after whatever it is, whether it be that objective, whether it be those bragging rights. And it doesn't have to be complex at all. It can just be something that is an added piece to what you already have in place.
0: Right, and I like it doesn't have to be complex. And when you both talk about the bragging rights, that seems a little less heavy for me. The bragging rights is really what they're looking for, right? And it's something fun for them to do. So that makes it a little bit easier for me to think about, I guess. So what other advice do we have?
2: Yeah, I can share a couple of ways in which I got started with gamification and then how I attempt to continue in adding game-like elements within education. The first one being end-of-year test which no one loves <laughs> <laughs> you what? know it's and, and if it were up to me i would scrap them all together and say you know let's look at the research let's see do these actually achieve what they say they're supposed to and if not then we need to do something else but i'm not in that power so yet, yet. i thought how do we make <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to speak through your podcast or our podcast to ignite that person who, who does have that power so anyway <laughs> Check the research. Does it actually uh, accomplish what it says it's supposed to? And if not, make it different. All right. Anyway, because end of year testing was something that I had to live with, like that was a reality and I had to adhere to that. I thought, how do we make this different than drill and kill? Mm -hmm. And so that was my first just desire, like objective, make this different than drill and kill. And then it turned into, hmm, I like games. My kids like games. What if we're (laughs) going to make it games? And no lie, literally what we did is I bought a bunch of game materials. When I say bought a bunch. I didn't like it wasn't super expensive, but got a, a lot of those elements that exist, spinners and dice and sand timers. And then just had cards and just started asking questions of the students, like, what are some games that you're familiar with? And we're talking about board games, right? In mm. this particular case. And, you know, we were just using the components of the things that the students were accountable to, uh, knowledge wise. So, all right, you're going to, we have to still know all of these vocab terms. We still have to know right. So we've taken all these tests all throughout the year. We've taken all these quizzes. Why don't we take all of those and literally cut them into strips and then say, if you were to create a game out of this, what would that look like? And we just started co-creating a game. And it's always interesting to me when so when Alex said the godfather of all games, I just knew what he was gonna say. I knew it. <laughs> I knew he was gonna say. Monopoly, not Dungeons and Dragons. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just messing with the hobby. It's interesting. That's where like most of the students went to. It was like the most familiar game. So mm. then they started creating game rules and we just started co-creating it. And the first first round it was kind of lame. But just the fact that we were trying and we were doing this as an activity together was fun for me. And then that later started transforming into, into other things, especially as I started getting more involved with, with tech tools and things like that. And learning about all of the, of the review game activities that do exist in the Mm -hmm. digital form, right? The Mm -hmm. cahoots and the gim kits and the quizzes and the, you know, keep going and going and going. I made it a purpose to say, in order to not give myself more work than I need, because, I see that too, as as what you stated, Charity. Of I could see teachers putting tons of work into creating these games, and I'm like, man, that's a lot of work. Who has Mm -hmm. like, teachers are already overworked.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Or here's the worst part, in my opinion, them introducing a game that is now like just tired and played out. In that, like Kahoot is one of those examples. Not that Kahoot is in and of itself tired and played out. It's if it's testing season within your school community, best believe those kids are taking kahoot or doing cahoots in every class. And so now they're like, no, I, I'm bored with this. I don't like this. So even a simple thing to do in that regard is to have the students create the games, right? Even the digital games. Instead of me, educator, creating the kahoot, instead having the students create their kahoots. And then what I ended up doing was introducing several ed tech tools that exist, just showcasing what they do. I don't even know how to use all of them. And then (laughs) setting up the groups as as teams, setting up the classes as teams, having a team captain and giving that team captain uh, educator privileges, so to speak, and then having them create games. And then having the students evaluate the games. Mm. So what's happening there? they're all in it because they're getting to create games and they're getting to use tech. That's what they really want, right. but what's also happening, They're being the content is being reinforced as they are creating the games out of the content, and as students are reviewing each other's games, they have to play them, so the content is being reinforced as well. So that was something that I really enjoyed doing, was just opening it up in that way.
1: To kind of add to that also, I think one of the mental blocks that a lot of teachers get in their creativity around games is they're set on content specific games mm. and the idea that it's only used for review or that it's only used for content because if you look at all those softwares out there that or the apps they're all based around content based games where mm. i would also try to challenge some folks out there to think about how can you use games to achieve skill goals Like if you're trying to work critical thinking, how can you bring a game into that? If you're trying to work creativity or if you're trying to do parts of a narrative, how can you add games to that? Like a pick your own adventure game or have the kids use their creativity to write the next part of a story that somebody else started or something like that. One game that I would do is I would go around the room and have students for whatever purpose, if it was a story or whatever else, I would do this in my philosophy class a lot, would be everyone gets to say one word And the next person has to try and finish the sentence and they have to try and get a cohesive story out of that. It's a game. There's a goal. There's an objective. And it's a really light lift. The kids have fun with it. And it just kind of helps to get you outside of that box of, okay, well, I'm reviewing content. It's time for Kahoot. It helps to expand that opportunity, expand that thinking where I think a lot of people, because they're in that box, that's when they go to the super complex because they're like, I got to take it to the next level. I got to take this thing that every kid's seen a hundred times by the time they get to middle school, high school and take it to that next level up, right? If you change the mindset of what a game could look like in the classroom, it can really change that perspective of how much complexity there needs to be, how much you really need to do as the teacher in building it out.
0: Already, you've changed my mindset around, it doesn't have to be some big end of the unit game or review. And what Dee brought along with that is having the students co-create. Now they have more ownership with it. Now they're, they're actually learning more because as we know from research, if you're teaching something to others, you have to know it in a different way. I love those ideas. I would love to hear more at some point or maybe some resources that we could share with our listeners about how they can do this.
2: I can share one on that. First of all, I would say principally any place where you recognize that something is not working within your class and you have attempted multiple strategies, but it just isn't working. Then that may be your clue to look at can Mm. adding game like elements help, right? Mm. And can I involve my students in collaboratively creating that, right? So that's, that's the principle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it could be classroom management, like, oh, this isn't working. I keep trying this. I keep, I've tried this. I've tried this. It's not sticking. Well, we do know that there are general rules to games because of lots of exposure to games and activities that students are already familiar with. So it's not teaching something brand new, but it then can turn into let's co-create this. And that becomes a culture change. Like everything is, let's co-create this, let's co-create mm-hmm. this. Well, let me give an example. In I created small groups as like my first level of let me stop lecturing and being the sage on the stage and let me have students working together in teams. So then... At very least, this was my thought, so that if I communicate something from up front or if I create a video and flip it so that they watch the video and then they have tasks to do and they are working in teams, they have each other to lean on. That was my assumption. That will work. Well, it worked better than before, but still, hands would spring up all the time, left and right. And this is where my frustration came in, and that was I explained something. Uh, It was showcase somewhere where it was accessible, and the majority of the class clearly got it. But there was something ingrained in the students that they were conditioned to think, if I didn't understand something, my job is to raise my hand Mm -hmm. and ask me the teacher. And I'd come over and I'd see, here you are, you're in a team, and you're sitting next to two or three other people that clearly know what they're supposed to be doing, (laughs) <laughs> but you still rose your hand and then you waited for me because I was answering this question four times over here, here, and here. Well, that highlighted two big problems for me. Number one, it highlighted that if I was answering the same question multiple times, that my instructions weren't clear. So need to clarify those and not blame it on the students, right? Mm-hmm. I have to, like Stand on top of the table and yell out, guys, everyone stop. The instructions clearly stay. Like, no, they don't if you're having to answer that question multiple times they don't so seeing that and thinking of it kind of like a game in that if i'm reading we've all played those games right where Mm -hmm. we read the instructions and the instructions aren't clear like that doesn't make any sense and we have to like do further research just to find out what we're supposed to do that's too much work kids Mm -hmm. aren't going to do that so recognizing oh my instructions aren't clear i'm going to collaborate with my students to make sure it's clear hey Pause, time out everyone. I said this and what I meant was that everyone does such and such, you know, what's what don't you all understand? How are, and they start asking questions. Oh, I get it. Right? Mm-hmm. This is excellent. I can change my instructions based on your feedback because you help me be better in communication. Mm-hmm. Excellent. The second thing was I had to figure out some way, shape or form to have these students stop individually raising their hand to answer, to ask me the question when they were sitting next to people who obviously knew the answer. And so I was introduced to the concept of ask three before me. Many educators out there know about that. Ask three before me. And in a nutshell, it is, you know, ask someone else. You know, (laughs) if you have other sources of of any sort, check your notes or use YouTube or whatever the thing may be. You know, you can even search online. Just ask three people or or go to three other resources before you raise your hand and ask me. Well, I tried that and it improved things a ton. First, I had a poster though. Students would still raise their hand. They'd still ask questions. I'd point to the poster. <laughs> I then literally had a sign on my chest. I pasted it to my chest. It was, and it said, ask three before me. <laughs> Students would still raise their hand and I'd still point to my chest and I'd say, did you ask three before you're asking me? And they well, and you could feel like the mental negotiation of does this qualify or not? So then I gamified it. Mm. And that was by creating an SOS card. And so it's part of my solvent time activity, but I also use it for any group work. So anytime, which in my experience, it's most of the time it's group work, but the students in groups and each group has a single use card. And that card says on the back of it. So it says SOS on the front and on the back, it says someone else, other sources search online. And I mm. tell them as a group, use this as a reminder to ask three before me. But if you get stuck and you need something, raise the card. I will come over and I will help your team. But then I will take your card to so use it wisely.
0: Oh, And it's
2: fascinating how infrequently that card gets used. And I don't put any sort of reward or award to it. Huh. Again, it goes back to the bragging rights. We didn't use our card. Very But it cool. also frees me up as the educator to roam the room and to recognize where they may not be asking questions, but they do need my help. So I'm going to interject. I am going to help that small group and I can literally have my back turn to other groups that are working because they have that SOS card and they kind of use that as their first line of help if they need it.
0: That's a great Place to start. We all have those. Everyone's raising their hands. I gave instructions for 15 minutes. I spelled it out. It's up here. Why are you still asking? So I love that. I love that idea. I wish I had had that about 10 years ago.
2: (laughs) Solveintime.com. Go to the freebie section. Download the print to play cards. It's there. Any educator can have it. And in the digital remote environment, just explain that as an instruction And that helps say each team has one use card of SOS. Trust me. I I tell my students that, or I used to tell my students that it was their life card, but in reality, it was my life card. Right. right.
0: I'm going to put that in the show notes. So solveintime.com, go to the freebies, and I will put the link in the show notes for that. Thanks, Dee.
1: I think that building off of what Dee just said, gamify the things that take place on a regular basis in your classroom. And Mm -hmm. for me, that would be like the do now or the entrance ticket or whatever you want to call it, or the exit ticket, or just like in my district, we had to do close reading as a district initiative. So they were doing it in every class. And for those things, the kids get to find mundane and boring, introduce small things that really can spice it up a little bit. A great resource for this is called Teach Beyond the Desk. There's a great speaker, author, Katie Powell, that has so many different activities that are just small little things you can introduce to change up the ways that things happen in your class so remarkably. One of the things I really loved is something called Strike a Pose for formative assessment. If you are doing an exit ticket, instead of having them write it, have them all stand up. And you can do this in a Zoom call. You can do this in person. You can do this wherever. Have them all stand up and give them a multiple choice question where to answer you have to strike a pose. You have to either... Maybe they're throwing a kick. Maybe they're like That's doing great. a disco stance, like whatever. But it also helps the kids because they can see their classmates and get instant feedback. It's, it helps you understand who doesn't know in the moment. You don't have to go review 30 note cards later on or post-it notes. You get that instant information, but they have fun with it. They're realizing like, oh, it's a competition and who can hit the pose the quickest. Another one I would love for close reading was I would have them fold up their papers into paper airplanes in between each part of the close reading throw it into the middle of the room and go find somebody else's and continue close reading from there. But it made everybody have an objective to make a paper airplane, make it the best, Mm see who can fly the farthest. Mm -hmm. right? So just a lot of fun, but it really changes up those mundane things where it breaks the process up a little bit. It changes that flow of the I do, we do, you do thing or whatever structure you're following in your classroom. And It adds those objectives. It adds the bragging rights. It adds all that gamification, without this huge lift that requires the teacher to do all these different things, make it intricate. If you want to do that, go ahead. But I think it's more powerful to do it on small things like that. I know Dee and I were talking about even something as simple as make a bingo sheet for whatever you're doing that day or for the unit or Mm. whatever else, and just make them follow along and see if they can get a bingo and. Maybe you do something like a homework pass or whatever if you really want to do something longer, but the reward isn't so much what they're going after. It's that pride of, I want.
0: You two have turned me into someone who wants to try gamifying in the classroom, remembering that it doesn't have to be that big kind of game. You don't have to start there. Start with, like Alex said, the, the things that you do in your classroom, like Dee did every day. He found a solution to gamify students raising their hands all the time. Thank you for those ideas. Dee, I want to go back to you mentioned Solving Time. Can you tell us a little bit about Solving Time, which I know about Solving Time because when I first met Dee, we had this experience with Solving Time and it was, I think, a game changer for the way that I thought about a problem.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you. I say excellent because what you said was the way that you think about a problem and that it really is like the the beginning of the activity is to real world problem solve. Mm-hmm. And so it's, its origin story is way too <laughs> big and long to get into what I would say. My passions for making classroom instruction really relevant to the students, at, especially within their own cultural context, right? Put that on the wall. Okay. If you were to create a game and you thought, what are some elements you want to have involved? Right? For me, mm-hmm. that's one of them. Real world problem solving, not just puzzle solving. As well as this idea of, of problem-based learning being systematized. So that was another exposure that I had. And so if anyone's familiar with design thinking, it's like, how do I introduce design thinking to my students so that they have a process that they can follow in order to solve a real world problem? And then last but not least, my personal passion was, and it's related to this, in that this activity was created as I was the director for passion projects at my kid's school to say, okay, there's lots of passion projects, programs that exist, and many of them are to say, you know, just go deeper into whatever you enjoy. And I thought, how can we connect something, anything that students already enjoy to solving real world problems that exist in their community and society? And so in other mm-hmm. words, how do we add social justice as an element to this? Mm-hmm. So that that those were like the three big pillars that I wanted to integrate. And then collaboratively with my students. It eventually was created. And so solvent Time is a gamified design thinking process. You start with a problem and then you go through a five-step process. Mm-hmm. If any of you are familiar with design thinking, it's a five-step process. If you're familiar with engineering process, it's a five-step process. If you're familiar with uh, the scientific method, it's a five-step process. But then to gamify that so that there's elements that are familiar in games. So there are cards and there's randomization and there's timers so that there's a sense of urgency we got to get our answer and put together and then there's a showcase Mm -hmm. at the end and then back to the same point early on and that solvent time does not actually have a scoreboard but people feel good about what they created and so it has those bragging rights elements to it as well so solvent time is a conglomeration of all of that in a box so that Uh, A teacher can facilitate small groups of six or seven groups total uh, using one deck of cards to problem solve any problem that exists or could target specific issues that are related to SEL or to Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion, or can even consider what are problems, real world problems that are connected to our content. Let's start Mm -hmm. there. So if I'm teaching a content. My job as an educator is to do the hard work to ask the question, what problems exist in society that my students know this information, they could possibly help solve this problem. Okay, let's start there and then I can use this process that's already set up. And then my students can wow me with what they create.
0: Yeah, I felt D didn't give us a prize, but I definitely felt rewarded for how I thought through a process and came up with some solutions on my own. I know this can be done digitally because Dee, when he introduced this to us, did this in a digital environment. So it's not something that you have to have. You have to be in the classroom to do. So check it out. The links will be in the show notes.
2: Can yep. I gamify? Because you said that... That you didn't get a prize but that just made me think just a challenge charity can i put you on the on the gamification hot seat for a second sure okay so we haven't even (laughs) thought about this we hadn't even processed this yet but i think that we should create a twitter challenge that's related to this podcast and whatever those rules are someone can enter to win a set of solvent time cards
0: Love that.
2: And a free date with Alex.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I love that even more.
1: There's going to be some uh, weird limitations on the uh, date. (laughs) It'll probably be the Olive Garden, so just be prepared for that. But, you know, you get as much cheese as you want.
0: I love that. Yes, D. we're going to do that. We're going to have a challenge. And one of our listeners is going to win solvent time cards and enjoy dinner at the Olive Garden with Alex. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so our last, our last thing that I want to do is at Link, we use the golden plunger to celebrate teachers who are trying new things and failing, but still, you know, sticking with it. Or maybe they, maybe they trash it. Um, they get to decide. But the idea is that they're trying new things. Alex, indeed, do you have any golden plunger moments that you would like to share? Again, this is recognizing that innovation and learning can be messy, but within that messiness lies the potential for growth. Alex, do you have something to share?
1: Yeah, I'll kick it off. I need to take you back to a time, a magical place. Uh, It's called my first year of teaching where I thought I was going to change everything and I was going to be like somehow I was going to reinvent the game. Uh, Pardon the pun. But so at the school I was teaching at, we taught in semesters. We taught block every day. You took a full year class in a semester. So I was teaching the same class a second time in my first year. As I reflected, one of the things I noticed, I'm teaching world history and I'm like, they don't have enough of a background in geography to be able to make the connections I need them to make. How am I going to fix this? Of course, with an intricate game that's going to teach geography. What's the best geographical game? Risk right? Who hasn't played Risk? Who doesn't love Risk? I found out a lot of people haven't played Risk. That's part of the story. But in my mind, I'm like, I love Risk, so everybody else has to. This is one of the craziest things I'd ever done was I made a like 15-page printout of the map so that it was this huge game board. I made it in color. I assembled two of them so I had these two giant boards for all my kids to play. I come up with the variation on the game I made was Instead of being able to just attack with your pieces like normal and kind of do the normal roles and everything, I said, to be able to engage, you have to answer some questions about geography and you have to be able to do this. And I had all these things set up and I'm like ready and raring to go. I ordered 300 little army men and I'm like ready to go. I brought in my friend to actually help me orchestrate all this. I get to the day, I'm so excited. The kids are so excited because I've been hyping this up. And then I realize nobody knows how to play. And we spend the next 30 minutes of me trying to like break this down to ninth graders. Like, no, so the, no, it's that's step four. You need to do step three first. Why, no. Oh, and like I had a PowerPoint that I thought was gonna be good enough. And I'm like, oh, none of them know anything about this game. This PowerPoint is useless. I now have just created the most intricate game that will have no use.
0: Dee and I are and, dying laughing right now. We are, hilarious. I'm crying. I am crying. Imagine how much work you put into this and how excited you were. You must've been.
1: Yeah, first year teacher, bright eyed, bushy tailed, like I'm gonna do this. It's gonna be amazing. This is gonna be, cause I, I was the kid that also got into teaching because of a teacher I loved. And I'm like, this is the moment. I'm doing it in my first year. I got it on lock. <laughs> And then it was like, nope, you, you, uh, it just shattered into a million pieces. We ended up doing it later on and it went okay, but I'm like, that was the first moment where I was like, complexity does not mean good. That, that was where I realized that very quickly.
2: Yo, you know what's real interesting that you shared that? Maybe I'm curious, Alex, if you have uh, additional thoughts or different thoughts, but it made me think about how gamification first got introduced in my classroom and it was by mistake in that because I taught business and we had I can't remember if it was like one of those real condensed days and you barely have enough time or I forget I'm trying to make up the scenarios so that the audience doesn't judge me for the fact that I brought in monopoly right it was like you know this is business and we're gonna play games and I can't remember what the whole context was. But they were playing Monopoly. So that I think was the trigger point for me of wait a minute, what if we actually we were to transform Monopoly into something that's related to our classroom content? That was the starting but I learned I think I didn't learn, I think I already realized that it was it was safe to start with something that they were already familiar with and they like. But I did learn later, like trying to introduce games or concepts to kids that they're like, I don't know what that is, or I don't care about that, or I don't like that.
1: Well, so before that big fail, I was just talking about the reason I really wanted to bring gamification in was because of a success where I was teaching some economics and I was an econ minor in college. So I had something already in mind that was already built out from something else. So I was stealing. So clearly somebody else had thought it through more than me. And I converted it for a high school level. And Some of the kids that were like never engaged in anything I was ever doing, they were so engaged in the ability to compete. They were so engaged in the ability to show they could hustle, to out trade their friends and to like make the best deal and everything else. You you got a bunch of resources and money and you had to figure out how to make it work for the world history class we were in. And that's when it like opened my eyes. I'm like, oh, I can get them engaged with this stuff. I can really make some things happen and i thought everything else would be the renowned like the renowned success that that game was but i clearly found out that again it's not always that easy
0: all right so i have just two points to make or maybe one d i was a business teacher too and I brought in Monopoly, so I guess I was gamifying the classroom. They weren't as excited about it as I was, but either way, I did it. So, you must have a big fail to share.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, I have I have one that's still sticking on me. You guys ever have that, where it's like, yes, I, I press rewind and want to do over, uh, because this one was fairly recently, and I was working with a team of teachers, actually, mm-hmm. and you just shared, yeah, D can do solving time digitally because I've seen him do that. But like Alex, when you try something new, it's a big risk. Uh, but And I was working with a group of teachers and I thought, okay, we're going to real world problem solve. We're going to create pedagogical problem solvers in their classroom. So we're going to really like get this whole concept of engaging your students to be real world problem solvers in your classroom. And... These are teachers who teach younger students. And so we're going to utilize a tool that they're already familiar with called Seesaw. And so then all we have to do is get everyone in the same Seesaw. And then we're going to like, so I did all of this setup and then I was also so hyped personally. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be great. And I did not realize how many tech fails that I would have in advance. Right. So majority almost all of the time was put into trying to get them in the same seesaw and like it was just all of these things that i didn't anticipate happening i didn't anticipate that uh the little form that i created that they wouldn't be able to see the emojis on their ipad if they were using safari first fail um (laughs) and second fail didn't realize oh i only asked for their first name and they're multiple teachers here with the same first name so how do you distinguish them second fail right third fail some people just couldn't get into other tech problems so then having to do so it was like all of this stuff got in the way so then next thing you know our time was up and it was like Mm -hmm. okay well let me just show you the slides for what we were going to do (laughs) right it just it just completely bombed and it was such a learning experience of Especially if you're, if you're attempting to do anything which is brand new, this principle applies, as well as if you're attempting to do something remote that you would normally, that's only really been tried and true in person, your goal is to make it as minimal as possible. And then you can add layers later. But if it requires multiple steps and multiple things and multiple uh, tasks that have been untested, then... There's just so many tripping points that can blow up the entire experience. So in that case, in that particular case, like how, how excited do you think those educators would be to, okay, that thing that we said that we were going to do last time, we're going to do it now. They're like, nah. because emotionally they have that, the multiple failures in mind. So they're associating mm-hmm. that experience to, well, now I want to introduce something, something new to you different. And they're like, eh, no. No, no thank you, right? <laughs> so that was a huge learning experience for me and I, and it felt uh, shameful. I was like, I, I should know better.
0: Yeah, I remember you sharing that with us and you took some time on our meeting to share with us and no reason to feel shameful, right? But I appreciate you sharing that with us and I know that's something that you always wanna think about rewinding and, and changing up, but it hasn't stopped you from trying new things i appreciate you sharing that
2: absolutely
1: and as we've been talking about it i i kind of been thinking about that complexity issue also and i feel like that kind of comes from this idea that as educators we always want to do the very best be the best we can and to make an analogy it's like we almost want to make this like magnificent three-layer cake of a game for the kids but that's that can go wrong in so many ways like d is saying but when you do something even simple, if you think about how routine they're used to their classroom being, even if you give them like a piece of candy, it's such a change up from whatever, like if we want to call like regular and like PB and J or, you know, the really the stuff you need. But if you throw in that piece of candy that's pretty simple every once in a while, it's still this huge like the kids are super excited about it. They get engaged and it's still really powerful, even if it's not that magnificent over the top presentation.
0: Exactly, just like when my daughters used to get so excited about their vocabulary tests that they won. They didn't get an award, they just had the bragging rights. Perfect.
1: Bringing it all Bring back it,
0: around. Bringing it all back around. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it, and I learned a lot. I am inspired to try this, to do this, and Dee and I and Alex, we have a big project coming up in January that maybe we'll try gamifying on this project. So
2: mm, mm. that's an idea.
0: Yeah. That's an
2: idea. Well, <laughs> thank you, Charity, for being our game show host.
0: <laughs> yes, thank Thanks, you for Dave. having us. All right.